who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to I Must Break. This podcast, the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. I'm your host, Sean, and on today's special interview episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with writer Brian Edward Hill. But before we get to the conversation, I wanted to remind you all to please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews, especially those five-star reviews. Those always help. Also, please be sure to check out the Facebook page for the show, I Must Break This Podcast. Here you can stay up to date on the show, the career of Mr. Dolph Lundgren, and other news regarding action cinema in general. So if you're not already following the page, please feel free to like it, share it, and continue being a fan and helping spread the word. Uh, lastly, if you'd like to get in contact with me with ideas, suggestions, or thoughts on the show in general, you can take a look at the official webpage for the show which is imustbreakthispodcast.wordpress.com. Now, on to today's conversation. Uh, recently, I had the immense privilege of chatting with Brian Edward Hill. Brian has his hands in a variety of arenas, from writing novels, films, television shows, and comic books. In fact, Brian Hill's first screenwriting gig was actually the 2006 gritty revenge tale the Russian Specialist, also known as The Mechanic. In this amazing throwback to 70s grindhouse cinema, Dolph Lundgren took on both starring and directing duties, in which he played Nikolai Cherenko, a former Soviet Spetsnaz operative who carves a warpath through Russia as he seeks out the criminals who killed his family. Sharenko, Russian Special Forces. Moved to America seven years ago. Illegally. Mr. Cherenko, we're willing to offer you $500,000. I needed to find her and bring her back to me. I'm a mechanic. I fix cars. Yuri, this is... We know who he is. Yeah? But did you know he's a total lunatic? Christ's sake, take whatever you want, whoever you are, I'm going to bed. 
trying to take you home. Get your gun. What's the plan? Kill them all. In this conversation, Brian and I chat the genesis of writing his first screenplay and collaborating closely with Dolph Lundgren in bringing what I feel is one of Dolph's best films, especially of the ones he's directed, to life. We also chat the world of writing comic books and how Brian's managed to bring realism into the world of superheroes. As always, it was another treat being able to speak with this talent. Please be sure to check out Brian's work, including the many comics that he's written over the years for DC, Marvel, and Image Comics. Also, please check out the show Titans, currently available for streaming on HBO Max, which Brian has been writing for since 2018. You can also check out the sci-fi action flick Zone 414, starring Guy Pearce, which Brian also wrote. That one is currently available on Netflix here in the States. And of course, if you have yet to see his rookie writing gig, please check out The Russian Specialist, which is amazing and, in my opinion, stands as one of Dolph Lundgren's best films to date. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Brian Edward Hill on I Must Break, this podcast. You can't Well, yeah, like I said, I've really been I've really been looking forward to this because uh, I mean, <laughs> the Russian specialist, come on, yeah. um, is probably one of my all time uh, uh, favorite Dolph Lundgren vehicles. But uh, yeah, last week actually, I just checked out Zone Four Fourteen. Uh, I noticed that that popped up on Netflix. So yeah, this is a uh, this is a real treat uh, chatting with you. Yeah, well, um, well, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely happy to talk about it. I mean, the Russian specialist was a uh... Well, the first things I did actually, so it's kind of hold a special place for me. Well, and before we get to Russian specialists, because like I said, I have, I have a ton of questions for that one, but I'll table that for now. I, I was curious, though. I mean, okay, writing. I mean, you have your hands in writing uh, movies and comic books and novels. Is it is it safe to say were these all uh, goals of yours ever since you were uh, younger? Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, okay, so. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an FBI agent. I wanted to uh, uh, be a criminal profiler and catch, like, sociopaths and serial killers, you know, and that's what I thought I was going to do. And then my mother preferred that I do a job where I didn't have a gun. Uh, And I was always decent at at, at writing, you know, enjoyed the the acts of storytelling. So I was like, well, maybe I'll, you know, try to to be a writer. Um, And that was... About 16 or 17, I kind of made that conversion. Then I went to film school. So I've been, you know, hacking away at this uh, this life for a long time, yeah. So I have to ask, I mean, okay, you're very established in the uh, in the comic book world. Who were some of your uh, your favorite characters growing up? 
Oh, I mean, you know, really into Batman, um, Spider-Man. Uh, it was into the Punisher for a while. Like, I mean, kind of the same as the Captain America. Like, the characters that, you know, people think, you know, that uh, comic book fans would be into. Those are pretty much the characters I was into, um, for for sure. You know, I learned a lot about storytelling from reading uh, comics um, because, you know, you go through story arcs and, and read them and reread them. And, you know, and some of that stuff just gets into your subconscious mind a little bit. You know, you don't even realize it's working its way in there until you start, you know, working. And then you're like, oh, okay, some of these things make sense to me because I've seen story structure so much. Uh so it was a very kind of personal art form for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and I, I would like to think it was about, shoot, it seemed like it was around the mid to late 90s where suddenly comic books or graphic novels is the, uh, the I guess, the more uh, prestigious term, I guess we can say, but where I think critics and scholars really started looking at them and saying, hey, wait a minute, there are some really uh, deep, thought-provoking and mature themes in uh, in these particular stories. Yeah, so I, you know, I kind of came up in the 90s when the idea of a literary comic book was starting to become a mainstream thing. You know, it's, it, you know when Neil Gaiman came in with his work and Alan Moore, Grant Morrison, you know, Frank Miller, who you know, kind of started in the mid-80s, I guess, uh, being, you know, getting into the mainstream with this stuff. But that stuff was a huge influence for me. Uh, and it was also happening at the same time I was discovering literature, uh, you know, like just normal prose literature. So to be able to see these works like Arkham Asylum or The Dark Knight Returns or Batman Year One or Gaiman's work on death uh, or Sandman, you know, it, it had direct parallels to what I was reading in, you know, literature, Steinbeck, you know, Milton, like that kind of stuff. So it gave me a kind of all-around appreciation um, for what is possible in, with the art. Well, I mean, we, we already kind of said it and already kind of talked about it briefly, but uh, yeah, the, the project I really wanted to, to ask you about was The Russian Specialist. Now, I know this was your first screenplay that was sold, and you were pretty young, right? Weren't you like in your uh, late 20s or so when – when it uh, got made? Probably more like mid-20s, like early early mid-20s, I think. Okay. Um, I mean, it all happened because uh, I I left New York. I was living in New York at the time. I'm from Missouri, but I was living in New York at the time. And 9-11 happened, uh, and everything dried up in the state. You know, there just wasn't a lot of freelance work to be had. And I had kind of been hustling from job to job, you know how it is. You're just trying to make ends meet, and you're surfing on couches and, and that type of thing. And so everything had dried up, and I went back to Missouri pretty crestfallen because I thought, like, Ooh, maybe this is a sign, you know. Maybe maybe I should just – I'm still young. I can do something else with my life. I should figure something else out. And so I wrote a screenplay, um, and I told myself, if nothing happened with this screenplay, I would move on. I would figure something else out. I worked in advertising a little bit. Maybe I would go back to that. Like, hadn't really worked out. But I was just not going to keep wasting my time um, if I just couldn't get a result. And so I wrote this screenplay that was essentially an action thriller about a character that wanted to quit being a hero and then rediscovered their inner hero and had to do heroic stuff. 
Well, somehow that screenplay got to Dolph Lundgren. And uh, initially, he wanted to do that movie, um, which is not the Russian specialist. And I had a conversation with him um, when I heard that he read the screenplay and liked it. And it was probably the first time I talked to somebody who was in things that I really loved growing up. Like, you know, someone I was a fan of, you know. And I remember how surreal it was uh, to be on the phone with him. I had moved back to New York by this time. And, uh, you know, I had this call. They set up with me and Dolph. And, you know, he's on the other line of, of the telephone. And, you know, I was a kid who was terrified of Ivan Drago growing up. Like, Drago just scared the hell out of me as a kid. And he was so gracious. You know, he's a really, really nice guy. And I remember he's like, well, Brian, I read the script, and I liked it very much. And I wanted to talk to you about turning the script into a movie that I would direct. Um, and I had all my friends were gathered around me when I had him on speaker uh, because, you know, you're talking to Dolph longer and, like, other people want to witness this. Um, and so initially the plan was to make that movie. But then things changed and they wanted to do an original idea that Dolph had. Um, and I was minimal to that because that sounded like fun. And so Dolph flew me out to Spain. He was living in Spain at the time, in Marbella, Spain. And Marbella is a beautiful tourist area. Um, it's where the blood of the British to go for their holidays. So it's full of just like, you know, kind of well-heeled European tourists, basically. Um, kind of a resort town. And uh, they'll put me up in a hotel. Uh, I got to walk on the beach to the villa where he lived every day. And we sort of worked on the script. Um, we, you know, we kind of talked about storytelling and structure, and I would take notes, and I'd write some pages, and then, you know, the script just kind of came about. Um, now, this script was pretty ambitious, uh, what it was. There were multiple characters in it. It was, so it was, it was kind of expendable-y, uh, really, you know, kind of in its, in its build in the sense that there were a lot of characters involved. Um, and it also had a little bit of a French connection in there, you know, like a nod to 70s crime thrillers. Um, and so I spent about a month working with Dolph on that script. And then I flew back to uh, New York and thought they were just going to make that movie. You know, thought that my, my work had been done. Then I got a call from Dolph uh, telling me that uh, the studio didn't want to make that movie because it was a little too expensive for the ones to do. I forget the business reason. But he asked me if I'd be willing to come over to Bulgaria where they were shooting and do some rewriting to it to make it work. So I said, sure, because um, anytime someone put me on a plane and send me somewhere cool, I'll say yes. And uh, I went out to Bulgaria uh, where they were shooting, and I landed on a Friday. And I remember because Dolph's assistant, Kara, I believe her name was, she picked me up from the airport uh, and took me back to the hotel I was staying in, Sofia, Bulgaria. It's probably the nicest hotel in Sofia, Bulgaria. Uh, gorgeous hotel. Uh, and then I had a meeting with Dolph, and he told me that the studio didn't want to rewrite that script. They wanted a new script. And this is Friday. And they were planning on shooting on Monday, and there was no script. So I had to very quickly, in about two and a half days, write an entire screenplay. Um, so they had something to shoot on Monday. 
And I had a little bit of instruction. They gave me a list of locations that they had that I could use. Um, they gave me a couple types of action sequences they wanted. And Ben Cross, uh, rest in peace, I believe he passed. But um, Ben Cross was in Sofia, Bulgaria at the time. And they, uh, they wanted him in the movie. I didn't have a character for him. I didn't have a story. But that Friday afternoon, I had lunch with Ben Cross, or coffee with Ben Cross, uh, which was equally surreal because I remember Sherry's and Fire and Dark Shadows and, and all that. Um, and Ben just gave me an idea of a character he wanted to play. He wanted to play someone that was a bit like Dustin Hoffman and Midnight Cowboy, a little, little Ratso Rizzo. And uh, for film nerds out there, that's old, old 70s. Um, and so those are my marching orders, man. So I spent that entire weekend getting virtually no sleep and just wrote a screenplay in about 52 hours. Uh, it had 106 pages of, of script done by Monday. Uh, so there was something for them to shoot. I forgot. I don't know what the first scene was they shot. Um, but it all came together very quickly. Uh, I think they, like, cast it in a couple days or something. Some of the cast was already in place, but they didn't have any parts. They were just people that were ready to make something. It was really, really crazy. So, yeah, so that, that movie, The Russian Specialist, uh, that script is about two days. I mean, I was doing some rewriting as they were shooting, but, you know, I, I don't think I put more than maybe – 12 days into that screenplay um, all together, you know, uh, with uh, the writing and the rewriting of it all. So it was very, very quickly uh, 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 kind of, you know, organized into, into a story. Um, uh, but, you know, to Dolph's credit, he made a, a coherent thing out of it. Um, and because it was so westerny, I mean, when you don't have much time, you're really just going back to structure. You know, like, you only have a couple of days to write something. You want to write something that you know structurally will work enough. And so we just kind of settled on this idea of like doing like a modern day Western. That's what it kind of came up. Well, I mean, and that's, I mean, you, you said it perfectly, just how surreal it was. I mean, did you ever think that this script you had written in your mid 20s would make its way to Dolph Lundgren, of all people? Like, have, have, you, have you tracked down at all, like, the, uh, the route that? you know, it, it took to uh, to make it his way at all? Or was that just, you know, a very happenstance uh, situation, I guess? Well, you know, I you never know what's going to happen with anything that you write um, because the business I'm in is a maelstrom. You know, it's chaos, right? Um, but, you know, like you just hope it's going to land somewhere. And as I recall, the original script that Dolph liked a producer uh, uh, by the name of Jake Hogan, um, he helped get the script out to people, and Dolph was one of the people he got the script out to. Um, and that started the initial relationship with Dolph. And then when they didn't want to do that script, then it was just about my relationship with Dolph and wanting to, you know, write a new thing. You know, that's kind of how it came about. But in no way, you know, when you're writing something, you have any idea what's going to happen with anything. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a very um, uh, random, pot-lucky kind of business, Hollywood. You know, uh, and if you don't quickly become comfortable with the the chaos of it all, you'll probably go insane. 
Well, I mean, yeah, you, you said it. I mean, it seems like, I mean, because every, every time I've watched it, I'm actually holding my DVD copy now as we, as we speak, actually. But, um, yeah, it has a very uh, 70s grindhouse kind of feel to it, and it obviously sounds like that, that was a conscious decision on both your behalf as well as, uh, as, well as Mr. London's, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, when you're working with fairly limited resources, time being a resource, um, you know, you sort of look like you look at it and say, okay, well, what creatively can we do here, right? Like, how can we um, manage to put together something that that we think is interesting? And so we were looking at, you know, other films that have been created under like similar circumstances, and the better of those films, and kind of use that as a guide. You know, like if you don't have a lot of time um, to put something together, then I wouldn't necessarily keep comparing what you're doing to something that had, you know, a year to be worked on. Rather, look at other things that were done, you know, with a little bit less, but how were, how were they able to get quality? And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that's kind of what framed it. Well, that, that's really cool. I mean, I think that says a lot about Mr. Lundgren as well, the fact that uh, he was so receptive to your ideas and that he flew you out to Europe. And, I mean, it sounds like he really made you a uh, – I mean, you weren't just the, uh, the gun for hire in writing the script. He really valued your input and made you a uh, integral member to the entire production. Well, he's he's a very very smart guy. I mean, you know, you know, everyone knows the anecdote about you know, I think he has a genius level IQ, or he's a member of Mensa, or something like that. Uh, and he's you know, he's a very smart guy. And so, uh, because of his his intelligence, you know, I think he's genuinely interested in the collaborative process, he had a lot of ideas. And I was just a big admirer of him because I grew up watching, you know, Red Scorpion and and uh, you know, Rocky Four, you know, and the Punisher, you know, his Punisher film. Um and, and so it was really easy to want to be collaborative with someone whose work you were admired when you were like a kid, you know, I mean that's that's not a hard choice to make. Um but he's a really interesting guy with a, a lot of real thought around things. Um, and uh, I didn't know that about him because I didn't know him at all uh, coming into the process, just his, you know, his, his, his work. And he really had a ton of interviews out there. And when the movie came out, it was a little before there were so many interviews on YouTube or that kind of thing where you could just kind of find, you know, stuff and, and get, some, get a sense of someone. Um, so I didn't have any sense of him besides the characters he played. And, and there were, you know, his characters were very laconic. Uh, and somewhat antisocial, you know. So I didn't know what I was getting into, um, but I was pleasantly surprised at how friendly he was. Um, and he just he just really enjoys the work that he does. You know, it's still fun for him, um, and that fun is uh, infectious. Well, look, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, and so you you kind of already brought it up, so I'm just going to ask it right now, Brian. Um, I've always considered this film be an unofficial sequel to Red Scorpion. I mean, because if you look at that, okay, Dolph's character's name in Russian Specialist is Nikolai Cherenko. And then in Russian Specialist, his name is Nikolai Rochenko. And so I guess I'm just kind of curious, maybe you can help put, uh, put me at ease a bit. Did you by chance write the film with this in mind as being a, uh, an unofficial sequel to Red Scorpion, or is it just purely coincidence? As I recall, we had a few conversations 
um, about making it somewhat of a spiritual sequel to Red Scorpion. Because we, we talk a lot about Eastwood. And he's a huge Clint Eastwood fan. And, it, and Dolph would speak at length about Unforgiven and how Unforgiven is a spiritual sequel to Eastwood's Leone films or Eastwood's Western Oprah, you know. Um, but specifically The Man With No Name, you know, and that kind of thing. You know, Unforgiven willfully evokes some of that stuff. So you, so you can sort of read it as, a sequel to those movies if you wanted to. Um, okay. And and I remember thinking, yeah, I remember us having a conversation about it being like a spiritual sequel to Red Scorpion. Like nothing that we would do directly where we'd underline it, mainly because of rights issues or something like that. But if people knew Red Scorpion well, they would be able to kind of read the spiritual connection between the films. So it, I do recall it being something that was definitely discussed between us. Um, and, you know, he would give me little adjustments to the script that would help evoke those things, like, like you know, like Nikolai's name, you know. Um, and I remember he came up with, you know, the name uh, for Nikolai. Uh, and so those sorts of things, so that people that were aware of Red Scorpion would be able to kind of find them in there uh, without it being an explicit scene. Well, I've said it before, um, and I'll, I'll say it again. I think this is easily one of Dolph Lundgren's very best films. I mean, and he's had a career that has spanned almost 100 different projects, but I think Russian Specialist is just amazing on every level. And I have to be honest, I have to attribute much of this to, to you because, I mean, you helped originate this idea that uh, Dolph was able to bring to the big screen. Have you heard this from other fans as well, that uh, they, they put it in, in Dolph's top ten? Well, it's it's interesting, you know. Like I, I will occasionally get you know an email request for an interview, or I'll get invited on a podcast, or 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 something, or there's like a retrospective of his work that someone's putting together, and they'll they'll contact me. And so you know, it seems like there are people out there who do have a deep appreciation of the film, um, which I which is very flattering, it's very humbling. Uh, and I genuinely appreciate that as well, you know. I mean, I'm I'm the kind of guy that loves kind of off the beaten path movies anyway, you know. Uh, like, I'm I'm not the type of person that gets nervous in front of Leonardo DiCaprio or someone, right? Like, I met him once. He seemed like a nice guy. I would get nervous in front of like Lance Henriksen or Terry O'Quinn, you know, <laughs> or like, you know, because I find that those are the movies that I watch over and over and over again, right? You know, and, and there's something about those kinds of films that that you can put on and you can watch and you can rewatch. Uh, they, they, they earn a different place for people, you know, and um, I have had a few people you know, talk to me about appreciating the movie. And, I, and it really, you know, it's credit to Dolph for directing the film, starring in it, which is an enormous amount of work, especially when you're working, you know, at a relatively lower budget level. Um, and, you know, he, he just really wanted to uh, kind of do something with it, you know, and he was very welcoming to new ideas. Um, you know, like the sing-song moment around the dinner table, 
uh, when they hold up in, in the house. You know, like I love little, that thing, yeah. little human moments that in a lot of those action films of that era, those things would get excised. You know, well, uh, what's so great about that scene, yeah, and, and because that scene in particular, that's calm before the storm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. Yeah. And 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 he was very tuned into those sorts of things, you know. And and um, you know, the whole that whole line about you know men know how to kill and women know how to survive. You know, um, and I remember him responding to that and wanting that to go in. Or I believe the character's name is Julia, who's been kidnapped. Um. And she's getting instruction from the other woman that's kind of in this human trafficking ring about, you know, finding a place in the ceiling and, and watching it and, you know, putting herself there and not being in the room, disassociating basically is what she's telling you how to do. And like those kinds of moments aren't always in those sort of pictures. And I, and, and I have to give Dolph credit for uh, wanting to keep those moments in. You know, and and giving giving the other actors the space to breathe. Um, uh, and from what I remember, everyone had a lot of fun working on the movie. The, the actor that played Sasha, uh, this this wonderful gregarious man, um, who spoke no Russian, uh, so he learned like the lines he had to learn when he had to learn them. And I don't know what sort of acting he had done. He was just kind of like a guy that you cast because look at his headshots. Look at this guy. You know, yeah. like a, like a, he's like an evil Santa Claus, like you have to grasp. Um, uh, but he was like just wonderful uh, to be around. So, you know, it was uh, it was a really fun experience for sure. Well, looking at the uh, at the rest of your resume, the rest of your uh, the films that uh, the films and uh, the graphic novels and comic books and whatnot that you had the pleasure of writing, you know, I, I was it was interesting because. I was watching uh, Zone 414 last week, like I was saying, which, by the way, was a super cool movie. But I was watching it, and I was thinking, man, this, this would work really well as a comic book series. And so I was really curious, how do you decide what – I mean, so you get an idea for a project, okay, that comes your way. How do you decide, okay, this is going to make a, uh, a wonderful comic book series, or this is going to make a screenplay? I mean, do you just instinctively know from the outset – that this particular conceit is going to work in one type of media? Um, usually at the genesis of an idea, I'll already be thinking about form a little bit. You know, like what, what artistic format takes greatest advantage of whatever the idea is. Now, in the case of Zone uh, 414, um, when I initially wrote that screenplay, it was called City of Robots. And I wrote it to direct myself. Uh, it was pretty experimental, my draft. You know, it, it was a screenplay that had nine or ten nine-page scenes. So it was basically a movie that had ten scenes. And my initial plan was I was going to direct every scene in one shot. So it would be a movie that was nine shots, right? Um and you know, make it small and subversive and, and, and all that. And it's been sitting around for a long time because, you know, I got busy working on this thing and that thing. I couldn't put together the financing for it, so on and so forth. Uh, and then I met the director, Andrew Baird, who had done some music videos I thought were interesting, and he seemed like an interesting guy. He was looking to do something in the science fiction space, and so I shared that script with him. 
um, which was pretty different than the, the movie that was a, a eventually made. Um, but Andrew, you know, he liked that draft and uh, he responded to it and wanted to uh, develop it and turn it into a film. And then, you know, I got a bunch of notes and sort of did, did the notes on it and, you know, helped shape it into what he wanted the movie to be ultimately. But it, when, it, when it comes to uh, comic books, there was a little time when um, I had considered turning that into a graphic novel for sure. Uh, but it's more a matter of just me not being free enough to really follow through on it that I just never went through with that, and it just sat in a, in a drawer until you know a director came along the one to do something like that. Well, you know, I mean, you've had the pleasure of uh, writing for Mr. Dalton Lundgren. I mean, Batman, you mentioned Batman already, um, Titans. Is there a particular superhero or character that you've always wanted to write, or better yet, is there a particular storyline that you've always wanted to tell with a with a certain character? Hmm. You know, um, I don't often think about other characters really um, like that. Um, you know, for a long time, I wanted to do a Batman film, but after the Nolan films, I kind of felt like Nolan covered most of the ground I would cover. I'm very curious to see what Matt Reeves does with the Batman. Yeah. Uh, and that looks fun, and, and I definitely want to check that out. But, you know, when we see something excellent done, I'm pretty sure that Matt's film will be excellent. It looks excellent so far. You know, that sort of takes the drive, I think, away from me doing it. Um, I've always had a real interest in James Bond. And I did write a James Bond screenplay just for myself to see if I could do it. Uh, did it a number of years ago. I will do that from time to time just as a uh, test, like write a character that I don't have any sort of, you know, official connection to just to kind of see what I would do with it. And so I think writing a Bond movie would be um, a really interesting and, and potentially rewarding experience. But from what I understand, that is a very close circle. You know, I think Neil Purvis and Robert Wade do most of the writing on the Bond films, and then they may bring in, uh, like, a top-tier writer uh, to come in and do something. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridges, Bridges is that, is, that, is, that, is that her name? I think so. Uh, I think Phoebe came in to do some No Time to Die work uh, on this last one. I think John Logan had done some work on one. So it's a very, very small table of people who are invited to work on a Bond film. Um, but, uh, that is certainly a character that I think I, you know, uh, could bring some perspective to for sure. It's so funny you mentioned James Bond because for the longest time I've been saying the same thing is that, you know, and I, I enjoy the James Bond movies, but what's interesting about them is it doesn't seem like that particular franchise, like you said, is very, very close knit, very lock and key. And I mean, I remember seeing, um, what was one that came out with uh, with Halle Berry, um, Dying of the Day? And Dying I remember watching, yeah, and I remember watching this, and I remember thinking, like, why not John Woo? I mean, how 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 awesome and amazing would that be, John Woo coming in to direct a James Bond movie? And unfortunately, it seems like they don't want to take chances like that, you know what I mean, in uh, infusing some really high-octane uh, action into a uh, – a franchise that, not saying that that particular franchise has ever really been lacking in the action, but I think that would be a different uh, a flavor that I think it would benefit from. 
sure. Well, I think it's also, it depends on what era the movie is in, right? You know, like, it's, like, the Craig Bond films are very much, I think, affected by Daniel. And so you're getting a director that Daniel would be excited to work with because of their dramatic capacity. You know, they had a pretty strong stable of directors. They started with Martin Campbell and Casino Royale, and, um, and then Mark Forrester was Quantum of Solace. I think Mark Forrester directed Kiper, so he's definitely an interesting filmmaker. Um, and then you had the two that were Sam Mendes, right? Mm-hmm. You had Spectre and uh, Skyfall. Skyfall and Spectre. Um, and then for this last one, No Time to Die, I think that was Kerry Fukunaga, who's also a you know super interesting filmmaker. Um, a good friend of mine, Elliot Graham, is the editor of No Time to Die. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm uh, somewhat familiar with uh, with that that production, and and the, I mean you know to talk to your people right, and so you know I think Daniel wants to work that way, and I think uh, that is indeed his last one, and they're going to recast Bond. Um, they may indeed take a different tack, and and you might see a more high octane action focused Bond experience. Um, and the, you know the Craig movies are 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 different right because they. They sort of tell one story across them, um, and they might go to a more like episodic, uh, you know, kind of kind of adventure style Bond thing. So yeah, it, it, you know, they're always a snapshot of the cultural moment that we're in. So um, you know, if big action becomes a, a a trend, then I think you could see them kind of following in those footsteps. You know. Um, when the Craig movies came out, they were very much in the spirit of the deconstruction that was happening, right? It's like a post-born kind of world they were in. I think they were very much affected by that. The Brosnan films, the Brosnan films are a little bigger um, in terms of, you know, their histrionics. You know, there's still like a little, there's still a level of camp in the Brosnan films that is very much part and parcel of the 90s. Um, I think Die Dying of the Day had taken the franchise to such a point where you have like, Rick Yoon with diamonds in his face you know, and Bond snowboarding away from satellite laser beams that uh, they probably felt like, well, the next iteration needs to be reductionist, so it's going to be about a poker game and a love story as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, you can't really go bigger than die another day when you've got face changing and, you know, yeah. satellites, Rosamund Pike sword fighting Halle Berry in the cargo belly of a plane, you know, like, so uh, uh, it's like an accordion, right? Go big, then go smaller. Go big, then go smaller. So uh, it'd be interesting to see Well, it's interesting you mentioned uh, the, the cultural landscape because, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, the world has gone through quite a lot within the past few years, both socially and politically. Do you find that uh, the modern world we are in now makes writing comic books today more difficult, or do you find it almost easier? Because I imagine that you want there to be a certain kind of realism in your stories, right? Well, sure. I mean, a certain amount of verisimilitude is is useful, um, but ultimately, it is the business of fantasy. And deconstruction can go too far. Um, you know, you can deconstruct the fantasy to the point where you're now removing what is really core in whatever something is, right? And so I just look at everything like tools. You know, I don't I don't have 
a constructionist or a deconstructionist goal when I'm telling the story. Um, you know, I'm never trying to do the hyperbolic version. I'm never trying to do the grounded version in my own storytelling. I'm just trying to tell the best story I can. Yeah. And sometimes that will involve pretty fanciful stuff, and sometimes it will involve more, more real-world stuff. But to me, I just focus on what would make the story really interesting, what would give the, the reader or the audience the best experience possible, and I let that be my guide. So the level of reality that comes into the story is a level of reality that I think makes the story interesting. You know, I don't feel beholden to verisimilitude in any way, nor am I trying to run from it. Um, I just, you know, like you look at look at things in terms of what I what I think is going to make the best experience, and you know, having a reflective relationship to the world that we live in um, can sometimes help a story be better, but it can also sometimes distract the story, and the story can become too inundated with social themes. You know, um, to the point where the story is really just there to share a social thesis, not necessarily to entertain or to take an audience on a journey. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just try to focus on the audience experience as much as I can. I like that. I like that. Well, so what's next for you? I mean, are you at liberty to talk about any of your upcoming projects? I mean, did I read correctly that you're in the process of adapting the Power Rangers to the big screen again? Are you able to talk about that or, or anything Well, I can't share any details about that. Um, uh, I can say that, you know, I, I work with Jonathan Entwistle, the filmmaker, um, on a the feature-length uh, feature film aspect of this whole reinvention they're doing, right? So there's a lot going on with Power Rangers right now, and, and my work is was a component of that. But there are so many more moving parts, you know, to it. So fans should just stay tuned because I think they're going to do some really interesting things. Um, you know, as far as anything else, and I'm working on – I've written a bunch of features for, for people. I can't really say who they're for and what's going on with them, but um, you should hear about some things, uh, you know, um, sooner than later. Uh, and – Another book of mine, Chariot, is being developed by Joseph Kaczynski, the director of Tron, uh, for a feature film, um, and that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, and so that's something to pay attention to. And, um, and I'm working on season four of Titans now. And if you uh, uh, people have watched Titans, well, there's another season on the way. And if you haven't watched Titans, check it out. It's on HBO Max. So that's going on. And I'm, I've got a couple films that I may end up directing. Uh, um, by the end of the year. Um, not not two of them by the end of the year, but one of the two seems uh, like it may come together. Um, or or it seems like I'll be able to get one of them off of the ground, you know. Uh, so yeah, so that's on the way. But, um, yeah, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm working on a lot of different things. Uh, and I'm really grateful to have the opportunities that I have. Um, but, you know, in general, I think the next big phase shift for me will probably be writing and directing. Uh, it's just a matter of what project it's going to be and when that project is going to come together. Well, if we're lucky, maybe it'll be Russian specialists too. Uh, like, that'd be fun. I do still talk to Dolph uh, uh, from time to time. Um, so, 
So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he and I would have wind up working together at some point in the future. Oh, that would be amazing. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for, for your time, and uh, congratulations on everything. And uh, I really do appreciate and admire your work. So uh, thank you for uh, for taking the time to, to chat with me. Well, thank you so much for, for uh, setting this up. This has been a great conversation. I uh, really enjoyed it. So I uh, appreciate that, and uh, appreciate everyone listening right now.